we have been dipping into these rhythms every two months or so, because there are six overall. And just as a little reminder, because it was two months ago we had the last one. Actually, it probably wasn't, because you probably all listen to them online all the time. Um, but there are six rhythms that we think about, and, and, and they're, they're things that we can use in mission. So when we think about mission, we don't want to think about things to add on to our lives. We don't want to think about additional things to do, because we, we think and believe and recognize that God has put people around us that don't know him in everything that we do, in work, in play, when we go to the shops, when we go to the parks, when we go to the pubs, wherever we are, there's people around us who don't know God. And so we don't want to think about, oh, what can we invite them in? What events can we run? But more, how can we be intentional with what we already do and show them the love of God and point them to Jesus in everyday life? That's the idea of this series, and there are six rhythms, things that we all do, but also things that the world around us does. So everybody eats, everybody celebrates, and we want to think about how we can change these things slightly in order to engage people and point them to Jesus. And now today's one is recreate. And this one is a little bit weird, but it's really good though. And what I mean by recreate is it's a word that encapsulates three rhythms that we do. And they, all, they do all overlap, and we'll get there. But the three things are rest. Here we go. Look, the RE is rest. And then create, and then recreate. Play. So rest, create, and play. Um, when I was traveling Australia the first time, in 2014, someone took me for a bushwalk, and he tried to get me with the whole drop bear thing. <laughs> so you, you all know what that is. And he told me about it, um, and I wasn't fooled. It's a type of, if you don't know what it is, it's a type of koala that drops from the trees and mauls specifically English travellers. <laughs> um, and, and so when I questioned it, he got out his phone and he showed me on the Australia Geographic website a legit article about drop bears and then on, on the Australian Museum website an article, a very convincing article as well. And then I questioned it again and he turned to an, an Australian friend and he was like, Toby doesn't believe about drop bears. And he was like, what? You've got to believe about drop And I realised that all of Australia is in on this joke. <laughs> and it's incredible that... Australia-wide, the country can collectively come together to trick English people <laughs> and, and just have fun with it. And it's amazing. It made me love the country more. It made me terrified. Also, koalas, they're like the only thing that don't kill you in Australia. <laughs> but anyway, Australia is known for being fun. It's also known for being really laid back. It's also known for being it's like a chilled country. Um, for being creative as well. And that extends to the mountains. So when it comes to rest, there are endless amounts of rest. Things that encourage rest in the mountains. Spas, retreats, holiday resorts, campgrounds. They all emphasise and encourage rest. And then we have things in the mountains that encourage play, rock climbing, Canyoning, 
kids' parks, ovals, libraries, if that's your idea of fun. <laughs> Woo. Um, and then there's Create. The mountains is known for its creativity as well. It's famous for it. You, you could probably name someone from all the different art forms, a famous person from all the different art forms, from the mountains. And there's exhibitions everywhere, there's small businesses, music studios. The mountains is known for creativity. So we live in a place contextually that loves to recreate, loves to rest, play, and create. And I think the, the reason is because all these three things, and this is what links them, all these three things bring restoration. They all bring restoration of some kind. And this is proven, there are studies to show this, that each of these three, three things, rest, play and create, they all help with mental health, they all help with community engagement, they all help with cognitive development. When employees and students rest and play and create, they're way more productive. There are studies in all of this, and I, I'm not going to get into the science in this sermon. I was about to say lecture, then. <laughs> that's why I'm not going to get into it, because it's not a lecture. Um, but if you want to know those things, I can, I can send you some resources and articles and studies. There are TED Talks on all of them as well, and I've watched a few, and they're really good. Um, so, the rhythm of recreate brings restoration to the person who rests, plays, and creates. There's a problem, though. And the problem is that even though Australia is known for its rest and its play and its creativity, there is still a massive lack of restoration. In 2021, there was, um, there was a study for people who were burnt out. And it said that Australia was the most burnt out country in the world. And in 2022, they put some numbers to it. 44% of employees globally experienced some form of burnout in 2022. In Australia, 62% of employees experienced some form of burnout. So and that's not full-blown burnout, but it's still some form of burnout. Doesn't that show how unrested, how unrestored we actually are? as a country? It doesn't really sound like a country that rests and plays and creates as much as we think it does. But what we get in Jesus is, is a different kind of rest and a, different, and a perspective change on play and creation um, that should bring deeper restoration. So I'm going to ask this question, and again, this is the same question that we use on all of these rhythms. If we are recreating, resting, playing, creating, and the world around us is recreating, how can we use this rhythm in a missional way? Now again, I'm not going to go into the science of it all, but instead I'm going to try and show through the light of the gospel how this will happen. Um, and in three ways. Finding rest, enjoying play, and experiencing creativity. Okay, so I'm going to start with finding rest. Um, we all have our own ideas of rest. We all have our own rhythms of rest. 
when Annie and I first started kind of thinking about how we can use it more intentionally, I was always like, let's get out of the mountains, let's go to the beach, let's go do something, meet with people, get my hands dirty. And Annie's like, I just want to sleep. <laughs> I just want to stay home and sleep. And we realized that, that we rest very differently. And so we've had to try and figure out how to, um, how to rest together, even though we rest differently. So it can be complicated to figure it out. But it's one that's ingrained into scripture. And it's ingrained into the Jewish faith. But it's not just ingrained into scripture and faith. It's also ingrained into creation. Rest is ingrained into creation. And this is what Stuart read from Genesis 2. So God made the world in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. And if we stop and think about that, that is, it's amazing. God's rest wasn't because he was tired. And it wasn't because he didn't like his job and so he wanted to stop for a little bit. It was because he had completed the work that he set out to do. That's the bit that was repeated in this passage. He had completed the work that he set out to do and so he rested. And it wasn't just a last minute thought either. He didn't tack it on the end of day six or he didn't fit it into day four somewhere or whatever. He, it was as intentional as any of the other days of creation. He had a whole day to rest. It's ingrained into creation. Then after that, after the fall of Genesis 3, and then God raising up Israel, and then they make the Sabbath, the day set apart to rest, they make that a big part of their lives, but so much so that they start putting rules and laws around the Sabbath day. So that by the time we get to the New Testament... They have all these things that you can do and all these things that you can't do about on the Sabbath day. And it kind of took the freedom out of it. And then, enter Jesus. Jesus comes in, the one, God in flesh, the one through whom all things were created, including day seven, including the day of rest. He comes in and he, he corrects their thinking. But these are some of his famous words. And this, again, Stuart read this. Come to me, Jesus says, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here Jesus is talking about something that's more than just the Sabbath day, more than just the day set apart to rest. He's talking about a deep rest, a rest for our souls, a yoke that's easy, a rest for the weary and for the burden. Doesn't that sound good? And what do we need to get that? He says that we need to come to him. Come to me, he says. Rest is wrapped up in creation, but also in Jesus. It's wrapped up in Jesus. He says that he is the Lord of the Sabbath as well. It is completely wrapped up in him. So it means that it's more than just a day a week. And by, by Matthew 11, we should be able to rest in everyday life. 
We should be able to rest as we work. We should be able to rest as we go shopping and as we chat and as we cook and as we clean. We should be able to find rest for our souls. From, from experience, from my little experience on it, I think the resting in the everyday stuff is easier when you have the Sabbath day, the day set apart to set your heart on God, <laughs> to remember what he's done. It means that then you can rest throughout the week easier. But it's really it's still really hard to do. And what does it look like? I, I think what it looks like is the same way God rested on day seven. How did God rest on day seven? Satisfied in the work that was completed. So for us, how do we rest satisfied in the work that is completed? Now, I don't necessarily mean the work that we complete in our day-to-day lives, although sometimes that is really satisfying and we find rest in that. But I mean the, the bigger work, the greater work, the work of salvation, the work of restoration, the work that Jesus has done on the cross so that all things can be restored. So that all things can come back to how they were created to be. The work of redemption. And so we live after Jesus' death and resurrection and the work that needed to be done to begin the renewal of creation has been done. So we can now rest knowing that the work is completed. Satisfied in the work that is completed. Not necessarily in our work in the week, but in Jesus' work of redemption. And that's restorative. That is restorative. That's part one of recreation. Part two is play. Enjoying play. Now, we, see, we also see play all throughout Scripture, little narratives of people who play and have fun in Scripture, which is such an awesome thing. My favorite is in John 21. Well, one of my favorites shouldn't say it's my favourite, but do you remember just before Jesus dies, Peter denies him. That's not the play part. But the, Peter denies him and then goes out and weeps bitterly. And then Jesus dies and he's resurrected, but Peter still hasn't seen him. He still hasn't seen him. So in his mind, he's just rejected his best friend And now he's died. And what Peter does is in John 21, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. So seven disciples together. And Peter says to them, I'm going out to fish. And then the other disciples say, well, we'll come with you. And I I love this. I love, some people think that this is Peter denying Jesus and going back to his everyday life, but I don't think so. I think it's, I think it's Peter, it, because, well, he, he regretted what he did. He had so much guilt for what he did. And then as soon as, straight after this, as soon as he sees Jesus, he runs to him. What's happening instead is that Peter enjoys playing. He's going to do something he loves with the people that he loves while he's grieving So they go and they sit on the boat on the Sea of Galilee and they're out all night. And I just, I wish that we knew what they did. (laughs) Because I can just see them like having competitions with each other. Who can catch the biggest fish? 
And it turns out from John 21 that nobody caught any fish. <laughs> or maybe they, there were seven of them on one boat. Maybe one of them fell in. Or you've got, you've got Thomas, who wasn't a fisherman. Did, were they laughing at him? trying to? Fish? Maybe Matthew was there, the tax collector. He wouldn't have known how to fish. That would have been hilarious, watching him trying to do that. They're all doing what they love with the people that they love and having fun. I, I, well, it doesn't say they're having fun, but I reckon they're having fun. As they grieve, they, as Peter grieves, he's, he's, he's gone to a place where he can play and have fun and restore in that. And there are other instances of play throughout the Gospels as well, like when, when they race to the tomb or... Um, I love Jesus' um, nicknames for the disciples. The Sons of Thunder. How good is that? There are little instances of fun and, and, and playing. And playing is so important for restoration. Not just in grieving, like Peter, Peter's situation, but also in mental health and community connection as well. And playing looks different for everyone. I, we had our neighbours over um, the other week... And I'd never met the dad before. And the son, came, the son and the dad came over and we started playing football in the garden. The son really wanted to play football. And so we started kicking the ball around. And then we were tackling... Oh, this is soccer. <laughs> Not, we weren't rugby tackling each other. Um, we started tackling each other and, it just, and, and laughing and having fun. I would not have done that the first time I met a grown adult in my garden. I would have just like, got to know what he did for work or something. But instantly, with kids, we were then just able to play and have fun. And I think we connected on a deeper level because of it. It brought something out of us, laughter and, and, and enjoyment. And playing looks different for everyone. For Peter, it was probably fishing. For me, it's board games or soccer. Skateboarding is a huge one for me. Um, for other people, it might be writing or reading or knitting or rugby or rock climbing. But I think... What so often stops us from enjoying play is shame or, or fear of what people think of us. That stops us from enjoying play. The fear of looking silly, wondering what people might think of us. There was a, there was a time a couple of years ago when um, Alba came up with a game. She would squeeze my nose and I would turn into a monkey. And the only way I could turn back to myself was if she squeezed my nose again. <laughs> so sometimes, I, I think I went like half an hour as a monkey once, just, just at home. Um, I don't know how she came up with that game. It was amazing. But it was amazing when I was at home. Because <laughs> as soon as we were out in public, it was like, well, it, that's the kind of thing that filled me with... I actually did it once with our gospel community, Lib remembers, Ben remembers. <laughs> just went full-blown monkey. Um, and it was, it was fun. But there were time, other times where Alba would do it at a cafe or something, and I would just be like, I'd have to whisper to her, not now. But that was because I had fear of what people would think of me. It's because I, I had shame around that. So enjoying and, and playing can be stunted by shame or fear. But what have we trusted in a God 
who sees and knows us and knows our deepest sins and loves us anyway, because that does away with shame. What if we trusted in a God who, who judged his own son in our place so that nobody's judgment of us matters and we stand before God justified? That does away with fear of what people think of us. And what if we trusted in a God who plays himself, who creates animals and creatures who laugh and enjoy fun, like a platypus? That's God's humour. He's a weird animal. <laughs> God gives us time and fearlessness and lack of shame. The, the, the Gospels do that. And so we can enjoy playing and we can be restored through that. And the, the, the third part is experiencing creativity. Now this part is less about being creative and more about experiencing creative things, whether that's things created by people or things created by God. Things of beauty, things of creativity, they all point us to God. So let's look at Psalm 8. Um, I'm going to talk as I read through it. So it says, verse 3 of Psalm 8 says this. This is a Psalm of David, by the way. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. So imagine David here, looking up to the sky at night and just seeing all this beauty of creation. The, the, the intricate details, and he says that it's just made by God's fingers. And it makes him question. So verse 4. What is mankind that you're mindful of them? And human beings that you care for them? That is, how is it that you, God, care for us little things when you, in your detailed care, have created all of that? And then he reminds himself of the created order, who we are as human beings under God, what we're created for. And he says in verse 5, God, you have made... You have made them a little lower than angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You've made human beings rulers over the works of your hands. All flocks and herds, the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea and all that swim in the paths of the sea. He says, you've made us above all of it. Quoting from Genesis 1 and 2. And then he moves on to worship and praise God. Verse 9, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So simply by looking and observing and considering the beauty of creation, he's moved to a place of, of, of recognizing where he stands in creation and worshiping God because of it. And then that's, that's we can all do that. <laughs> and not just with the sky, but with all things that are beautiful. So even with art and music and literature and children and, and even adults, we're beautiful in our own ways. But they all remind us of the beauty of God. And we all see beauty on a daily basis, especially in the mountains. Right? God's creation, but then we also see people's creation, people's creativity. We see the, the murals that have just all popped up around the mountains. And we see, uh, well, we hear music all the time. We see exhibitions and 
so many different art forms. There's theatres. And there are traces of God in all of it. But what do we do with this? How do we let our experience of creativity and beauty lead us to a place of worship? To a place of restoration? To a place of mission? Stephen McAlpine is an author and pastor in Sydney. And he's really helpful here. Because he talks about how the answer is not to create our own Christian art. If that's even a thing. And not to have Christian exhibitions necessarily. But to frame God in to all the things that are beautiful. All the things that are created. So like when David looks at the stars, he saw beauty. He questioned our place and he remembered God's words and he was blown away by it. So for us, the beauty on a bushwalk, the colours in a painting, the harmonies in a piece of music... We frame God in. And we see not only the beauty in the art, but a loving God who's created the world with bursts of colour. A genius God who has created music that not only overlaps, but intertwines and makes us feel something. There's a reason that people love creativity, and it's because it's a shadow of what they're really looking for. It all points to God. There's one more thing as well in this, because not only do we see things that are beautiful, but we see things that are broken. Creation that's marred, or broken people, or damaged bushland, or sick children, or war, or whatever it is, things that are broken. And we frame God in. We can frame God into that too, and we see a God who didn't just create and step away, but a God who came close. A God who came to restore. A God who is working towards making all things new. So in the beauty and in the broken beauty, we frame in a God who's working toward a new creation. Now, if we invite people along as we see beautiful things... And as we see broken, beautiful things, they will see how we look at beautiful things and and, and why we love it. Because it points to God. And and when we see broken, beautiful things, they will will see our sorrow and how, how hurt we are by it. But also our sense of peace, because we know that God is restoring the world and working towards a new creation. And we can talk of all of that with people. And that's mission in the everyday. That's using something that we already do to point people to a God who is loving and kind and restorative. So yes, we're a laid-back, restful, playful country when it comes to drop bears. But in another sense, we aren't. Because there's so much need of restoration. And our everyday rhythms of resting and playing and creating, they can have a say in this. But also we get to be missional with them. So let's answer this question. If we are recreating and the world is recreating, resting, playing, creating, how can we use this rhythm in a missional way? Three ways. Firstly, we're more restored personally. 
As we rest in light of the gospel, we're satisfied in the work that God has done. We are more restored. As we enjoy playing in light of the gospel, we're free from shame or fear and we get to play and we are more restored. And as we experience creativity in light of the gospel, we frame God in. We're reminded of God's good creation and work towards restoring all things. We're restored. And so we're able to slow down. It doesn't rely on us. We're able to participate in conversations, get to know people more. Deepen relationships. Secondly, we're showing people a picture of what the kingdom of God is. Showing people a picture of what the family of God is. So when we invite people in to the kingdom or the family of God, or even when we invite people into our gospel communities, what are we showing them? Are we showing them a rushed, stressed, overwhelmed, life or a life that's centered on Christ one where we can take time to recreate rest play create in light of the gospel because then we're showing people a real taste of of the restoration that God offers and thirdly as we see the broken world around us we can ask the question, where or who needs restoration? Because the gospel brings deeper restoration than that of the world. So we can tell other people of the rest that we find in Jesus, the deeper, the soul rest. We can tell others of the play that we get to enjoy, that we're free from shame, we're free from fear, and so we get to just enjoy play because of Jesus. And we can tell people of the experience of creativity that we have because it points to the one, the creator of all things and the one who is working towards the new creation. That's all. Father, right from the beginning, you 